It's the midweek mailbag plus special guest Parker Fleming stops by to talk about scheduling imbalance in the Big 12 and the kind of impact that had on the conference this year. We also get into a little recruiting theory talk. All that and more on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome into Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here. Very excited about this episode. It's the first off-season episode, technically, for Frogs Insider with TCU football. No longer playing. We don't have a game to preview. We don't have any other team to talk about, necessarily. But we're going to get into some questions. You guys asked some excellent questions in the mailbag uh, this week. Plus, uh, Parker Fleming will be along. We have a, a very fun conversation uh, about Big 12 scheduling, the imbalance that this scheduling practice causes now that there are 14 teams in the conference and they went away with divisions, and that's only going to continue moving forward as Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and um, Colorado join the conference in 2024. Uh, so Parker does a really great job of explaining the impact of that uh, and modeling how that impacted things this season. TCU fans... Obviously, he's going to explain this, but you're going to be really interested to hear what he has to say about the strength of TCU's schedule in conference and the impact that that had on them as a team compared to, say, Oklahoma State. So uh, keep keep it here for that conversation. He and I also get into some recruiting theory about what, what should be the priority for teams versus high, high school versus portal versus skill positions versus linemen. Uh, we have that conversation as well. All in all, a very fun conversation with my good friend Parker Fleming. Um, you can follow him at Stats of War. He's going to be doing all of his college football bowl previews, just like he did for all the games in the regular season. Uh, and I know that folks are going to want to check those out. Those advanced stat previews are a big part of my week, I know, as I uh, try to understand football a little bit deeper and uh, watch it a little bit differently. And Parker has really, truly helped me do that over the years. So I'm very thankful for his friendship and for him to come on the podcast because I know it's a busy time of year for him. Uh, so we've got that going. We've also got our mailbag going. You guys asked some tremendous questions about all of that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and jump into this conversation with Parker. Uh, actually, ooh, hang on. Ooh, Jamie, you're getting ahead of yourself here. We got a little podcast business. little podcast business. Uh, right now, the plan is to continue the mailbag through the football offseason because, as you all know, I also do a lot around basketball and baseball. We've got some really fun content around both of those programs coming up here in the next couple of days over at hornfrogblitz.com. So make sure you're subscribed over there. Uh, plus, uh, some of you are pretty annoyed with me because of a tweet that I put out on Wednesday saying that that would be a pretty good day to get over to hornfrogblitz.com. And it is, and it was, and it still is a great day to get over to hornfrogblitz.com because Jeremy is as plugged in as anybody is could possibly be with the possible or, you know, maybe not possibly happening coaching changes around the football team. So he's done, he's done uh, some really, really great work uh, keeping the board updated on where TCU is in the coaching change process. Is that happening? Who's leaving? What's going on? Uh, you know, I've talked to a couple sources as well and dropped some info in there. Um, 
Keep it at hornfrogblitz.com for some of the latest info. I'll talk a little bit about that today in the mailbag because we got some questions, but Hornfrog Blitz is the place to be to learn that information first. He's also talking about guys who have, fil- have submitted paperwork for the transfer portal, which you're not seeing anywhere else right now. Uh, so make sure you're over there at HFB to get the latest information on TCU football. Jeremy's got it all for you. Um, okay. Uh, big shout out to our sponsors, Homefield Apparel and Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Thankful to both of them, obviously. Uh, very, very cool Black Friday slash Cyber Monday deals by both of them. So I hope you took advantage. I hope you took advantage of all that they had to offer. They had some really incredible deals. If they didn't, though, you can still get over there and get some stuff for yourself or for a loved one for the holidays. Uh, I think it would be a, a really great gift for any TCU fan uh, to go and grab one of the great polos from Hell's Half Acre or an incredible hat, a koozie for your tailgate, uh, or swing over to Homefield Apparel and grab a hoodie, grab a t-shirt. I've got the Big Sky hoodie on again today because I wear this thing for about two weeks at a time before I wash it. Um, I probably shouldn't do that, but that's how I roll. And I just know that this is the first Big Sky hoodie I own. It won't be the last, because whenever this one wears out, I'm going to go straight back to Homefield Apparel and grab another one. Frogs in 15 is the code over there. FrogsIN15 will get you 15% off your first purchase and 10% off your subsequent purchases over at homefieldapparel.com. Lastly, we are a part of the Republic of Football Network over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. We're very excited to be a part of the DCTF family. Um... Thankful, thankful, thankful to Mike and Ish and all the folks over there uh, who invited Melissa and I to to join their podcast network. Um, we uh, are the TCU version of that podcast. You know, they've got a whole feed over there. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, and in that feed, you will find a podcast for every single D one football program in the state of Texas. Pretty stinking cool. So you've got TCU, obviously, Texas Tech, Baylor, Texas, Texas A&M, all the big ones. But you've also got North Texas, SMU, UTSA, UTEP, uh, Sam Houston State, Rice, right? Every single D1 program in the state has a podcast on that feed, uh, which is really, really cool. It's one of the more unique things that Melissa and I have been a part of as we've covered college athletics for a long time. Uh, so shout out to the Dave Campbell's Texas football folks. Wherever you get that podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you've left a rating and a review. And I would I would encourage you to foray into some of the other podcasts that are a part of that network uh, because there are some really, really cool folks doing some great content uh, around the other D1 football schools in the state. Even Gambling Gauchos, even Between Two Bears, you know the, they're, they're doing some great work for, for the Big 12 bunkmates that TCU has in state as well. Um, and lastly, if you're just looking for Frogs Insider content, we've got that for you too. Just search Frogs Insider wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find our feed. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you leave us a rating, and you can get all of our uh, podcast episodes right into your ears right from that podcast feed. And go and like the YouTube channel as well because we've got some off-season content that we're planning that I'm very excited about. Plus, some other things in there like player clips from uh, certain games. Uh, I have conversations with former TCU basketball player Bingo Merricks after some of the home games this year. We're posting those up there. Uh, a lot of really cool content over on the YouTube channel as well. So make sure that you get over there and check it all out. 
Okay, I think that does it for podcast business. Let's go ahead and jump into the conversation that I had with Parker Fleming at Sats of War on Twitter. Uh, really, really insightful stuff. Love his, loved his company, loved having him on the show. Uh, here's that conversation right now. Uh, Jamie Plunkett here with Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter to do a fun little thought experiment, math experiment here. Um, Parker, I'm, I'm excited that you decided that this was worth your time to come and have this conversation because uh, we were texting the other day for the listener at home. Um, Parker and I were talking a little bit about what would have, what would things have looked like if Oklahoma state had had a different schedule or Texas had played, you know, Oklahoma's big 12 schedule or just the average schedule in the big 12, what would the big 12 standings look like? Um, Because it's always a fun, fun thing to think about. I had started posting on Twitter hey, if TCU had played these four Big 12 teams that they didn't, what would their record against these four teams have been? Um, several people asked, well, which four games are they replacing on the schedule? That's fine. It's okay. Um, but anywho, uh, so Parker, uh, stats genius that he is, you ran some numbers and have some fun uh, results to, to share with us. So I guess before we jump all the way in, just small, walk me through kind of what your thought process was behind yeah, so one, my thought process is the unbalanced scheduling and the ensuing tiebreaker nonsense that we had to endure for two weeks in the Big 12 mm-hmm. was one of the bigger own goals in recent memory. Yeah, 14 teams, you could have done some pods, you could have done two divisions of seven and gotten creative and just saved yourself the headache. But instead, uh, they kind of took the coward's way out and didn't do anything interesting or cool and kind of just had people play each other. So that, I think, mattered a whole lot um, just because, again, there's certain teams that missed other certain teams, TCU, for instance, got Texas and Oklahoma, like right there. That's going to ding you down to, you know, two expected wins. Um, they miss uh, Oklahoma State, for instance, uh, and don't have to. Cincinnati, um, Central Florida. For that, They don't yeah. get the benefit of Cincinnati. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so, I mean, you see, like, how bad they beat BYU and Houston. They had Cincinnati and maybe UCF. That, that, that could be two wins in their favor. So what I thought I would do is a cool exercise. Um, Tony L. Haber is uh, a guy I follow. He's like an actual real data scientist. He works for Nextdoor maybe, but he has a cool blog and he does some like soccer stats. And I like, I get some inspiration from that. And he did kind of a fantasy football um, or fantasy soccer exercise where he like simulated everyone else's schedule to figure out how likely it was you missed the playoffs based on how difficult your opponent was. Mm. Like you've been, you've been in, Jimmy, we used to play in the fantasy baseball league and you know how many times you're like, seems like a different lifetime, but um, you know how many times (laughs) you're like, that's such BS. I'm like fourth in points, but I'm, you know, 17th in standings or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of took that framework. And basically what I did is I went through and I took my little toy power rating um, and I uh, used it at the end of the season because we have all the information we have about, you know, whatever team is. And then I went through and I grabbed everybody's schedule. And then, so I took a one team. So for instance, I took Oklahoma state and I ran them against Baylor schedule and BYU schedule and UCF schedule. Um, and not against each other, of course, when the teams equal each other, you throw that game out, but, mm-hmm. um, and, and just said, what if they played these average schedules? I simulated all those schedules, simulated the win probabilities for all those based on what we know. And then what I went and did is just average those up. So what I get 
in addition to like a net power rating that I have is I get the actual number of wins you have in conference. And then I get the expected number of wins you'd have against an average schedule against literally the average of everyone else's schedule. And what it does is reveal kind of areas where teams benefited from a softer schedule or a more difficult schedule in certain areas. Now, spoiler alert, most of this is going to be, did you play Oklahoma and Texas or did you not? Because they're the two clear best teams. Yep. Um, but it, it still, I think, is informative and helps us directly kind of understand who benefited and who did not benefit. Um, secondly, of course, you know, Cincinnati is going to struggle with this just because they're bad. And uh, and so, like, they're going to, you know, it's going to be like, oh, Cincinnati would have had more wins against an average schedule. And eh, maybe they probably probably wouldn't have. Yeah, so, maybe not. Um, yeah, it's nice. A, a lot of them are within one win, which is kind of nice. But there's there's four teams that are uh, a win or more difference, which I, I think is really, really big in terms of um, – how the standings fucked out. Uh, it actually would have changed the big 12 championship. Uh, if, if this, you know, if everyone played an equal schedule uh, here, so kind of, kind of interesting. That is really interesting. And uh, it goes to your point, you, you know, there are so many different ways that you can construct a conference schedule and it, not just the schedule, but how the conference conference itself is structured in season with divisions or pods or uh, whatever kind of creative thing you want to do. And we've seen conferences kind of pull the ripcord on those creative solutions. Uh, the Big Ten has pulled the ripcord on a creative solution. The SEC is probably going to do the same thing. Obviously, the Big 12 has done so. Uh, and it seems like it's the easy way out of, uh, uh, you know, just it's the easy way out of the situation to say, oh, we're just going to kind of create these unbalanced schedules because we can just do that year over year and not have to worry about what the Big Ten is worrying about now with its two very clear best teams being in the same division and always playing in the regular season, but never in the conference championship. It would be more, it would just be more compelling if there yeah. weren't like huge asymmetries in the schedule, or if we didn't know that the Big Ten East champ was going to beat the ever-loving hell out of the Big Ten West champ every year, right? Shout like out, that shout would out be to Iowa. Yeah. more compelling. Shout out to, shout out to Iowa, who... People in my mentions today, Iowa just keeps winning. Analytics can't understand it. It's pointing <laughs> to the Minnesota game, right? <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, same with Oklahoma State, right? Uh, I saw you getting some grief on Twitter from Oklahoma State fans because your your model uh, didn't didn't like them too much against Texas in the upcoming Big 12 championship, which we can talk about in yeah. a little bit. But Well, also, just a point of order, if we'll just entertain that for a second. One, dude tweeted a just completely wrong record, whether that was straight up or against the spread, and just said something. Two, uh, sorry that I didn't pick your team to get absolutely gobsmacked by South Alabama and UCF. Like, that's not a dig on me, man. That's a dig on you guys. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Shout out, to, shout out to Mike Gundy for waiting until the midpoint of the season to pick a starting quarterback and still making it to the Big 12 championship game. The funniest season of Mike Gundy's career. Absolutely. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, walk me through then what the results of this, this model are. Uh, who ended up maybe a little bit higher in the standings than they would have been? Who maybe uh, kind of is worse for wear based on the actual schedule versus the average schedule? Kind of walk me through some of this stuff. Yeah, so so uh, a, a couple notable notable ones that stand out. First, Oklahoma State would have decreased 1.86 expected wins mm. uh, based on their schedule. They 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 had seven. And they would have been projected 5.14 against an average team. Um, and so that, I think, is uh, pretty notable in terms of the uh, the conference here and um, how things shake out. They are sixth in uh, just a raw power rating that I used to do this. So that makes sense. They they, they got benefit there 
and they got about a win and a half more than you would have expected mm-hmm. um, based on the numbers. So that one really stands out. The other one is uh, a team that that similarly had a couple close wins against some mediocre teams, West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia had 1.49 wins above uh, the average schedule. And if you look at their schedule, I mean, they they really, really benefited here, kind of gifted Neil Brown eight and four um, and arguably should have been less uh, given the way they played against, you know, TCU and how close that game was, for instance. Um, but again, you know, all of their wins, Texas Tech, TCU, uh, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati and Baylor, like they they beat, you know, two TCU and Texas Tech struggling, Baylor struggling and then new Big 12 schools. And they still lost to Houston. So their one, you know, kind of tough game was Oklahoma. You switch that out uh, or switch into these other games out for Texas, for instance, or Kansas State, um, even Kansas, uh, they they would be expected to lose those games. And so that would have dropped them down. They, they were really a beneficiary of their schedule, which uh, if we're looking at West Virginia and thinking about them in the future, you think, eh, hey, eight and four, it didn't feel good. It felt like it could have been 10 and two against the schedule. And they still kind of underwhelmed. It's, it's one of those situations where you're like, yeah, eight and four is a fine season, but looking forward, I don't know if that's my, I, I, you'd hate to extend Neil Brown after the season because they got so much of a benefit from their week schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't, don't extend Neil Brown, by the way, West Virginia, but don't fire him either, right? Because he, I think he didn't have to earn, earn another season uh, just, just from, from what he was doing. And it, it, it hurts me to say this, but I'm sure that one of those mediocre wins was over, over the Horn Frogs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what 24 to 21. And, and uh, I think the success rate was, was about equal. That was the game where Garrett green had to um, just throw an incomplete pass once every three plays so that West Virginia, like sacrifice a pass to the gods so that West Virginia could Continue run to. some more. Yep. And TCU just like didn't play offense at all nope. in the second half. And then, missed you know three what like 40 something yard field goals and tried to blame the kicker Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was it was was one of those two where you're like okay if they played that game 10 times i don't think west virginia wins it five times um most likely yeah yeah i do have those well i do have them power rated about the same as tcu so maybe they'd win five but um yeah they 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 only have against an average schedule west virginia 4.51 um, whereas TCU, for instance, would have 4.23. So TCU is a team that was on the bigger end of the swing. In fact, the biggest in the Big 12 with an average schedule, they would have been expected to have 1.23 expected wins more. So um, obviously that goes a long way to what I was saying earlier about like, yeah, they played Texas and Oklahoma. That's going to be, that's going to be a rough deal there. But basically you swap those out with any other schools and you're going to expect TCU to, to generally win that, those games against, you know, all the non uh, Kansas, Oklahoma State teams, you'd, you'd project TCU to win those games. Excellent. So TCU fans can take a little bit of comfort in knowing that Big 12 schedulers really messed them over this year. Hang, hang, hang the banner. TCU, yes. most wins TCU, goal, lost due to scheduling in 2023. TCU against an average Big 12 <laughs> schedule would have qualified for the Independence Bowl. Shout out to the Horn Frogs for that. Um. So what does all this tell us then about the Big 12's current state, Parker? Because obviously Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, and so they're, um, you know, they're adding to the data, data table this year, but they won't be next year. So when you look at uh, where the rest of the Big 12 kind of stacks up against this average schedule, what can, is there anything that we can glean about the conference maybe moving forward, or is that just something we have to wait and see in 2024? I think we can glean maybe three things. And uh, what I'm doing right now is pulling up the um, 
the Big 12 with uh, the the new four teams as well and their and their net ratings to see where everybody fits in. What's really interesting about this, I think there's three things that we can figure out. One, this is the year where Texas kind of got to where we thought Texas should be, mm-hmm. or where Texas fans thought they should be for years now. They kind of reached it. Um, they were the clear favorite. They were 20, uh, uh, 7.56 wins against an average Big 12 schedule this season. Okay. Oklahoma, 7.40 against an average Big 12 schedule this season. And then you get a pretty big jump to kind of the next middle class. And so one it is very top heavy in Texas and Oklahoma, and then a pretty big jump to Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, which is the next three there who are all like five to six wins in conference. That's kind of exciting because next year, um, where we've been, the upper middle class of the Big 12 is like, who's going to go get the crap beaten out of them by Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game historically? It's actually going to be wide open because there's going to be asymmetric scheduling again. So just absolute chaos there. And there's going to be um, a lot of teams that are within striking distance of each other. It's not going to be an obvious favorite. A lot of it's going to come down to some weird asymmetries between who is the home team and uh, who plays who when. And so I think that's really interesting to look for. And and again, kind of changes our our way of thinking in the Big 12. Um, You think about like Baylor's run, for instance, um, or Kansas State last year, both of those teams about equally matched. They just won the right game of the two, you know, and so we don't we probably won't get the rematch as much um, as often. The other thing that stands out, um, the of the um, new Big 12 teams this year, so not the class coming in next year, I'll get to those mm-hmm. in a second. Um, UCF has the roster that's that's most ready to compete and Plumlee was hurt, but they still power rated ninth in front of Texas Tech uh and and baylor in front of those two new schools and then the other three schools there they had 4.11 wins against an average schedule so they also had over a win of adjustment for schedule difficulty here um and so ucf is kind of the team to watch of like who who among the new schools is best poised to potentially crack into the top of the big 12 ucf kind of seems like that candidate this year just based on their power rating even with some injuries third if we go um back and we look at the the schools that they're adding um this season if all of these teams including texas and oklahoma in the big 12 arizona would have rated third utah would have rated fifth um colorado would have rated 13th and arizona state would have rated uh rated 15th so you're adding two kind of expected wins for a lot of teams but you're also adding two expected losses but they're not as good as Texas and Oklahoma. So they're more achievable, less uh, l- less expected losses, even if they are going to be you know, favored against them. So higher level of competitions, more teams with it. I think we're going to get a really fun November next year because so many teams are going to be in it. The stakes are going to be so high. And because um, again, I'm not optimistic about the scheduling. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a disaster in terms of like, what are the actual tiebreakers and everything? So we'll be a lot of fun because I think what's going to happen is the top gets a little heavier but it's it's heavier because the mass of the top is a lot higher. There's more teams in that in that upper echelon of uh, of competition. Yeah, you thought it was bad this year with 128 different tiebreakers ten days ago. We, we break two. Well, I I think that was I think that was, <laughs> um, was I, I think like 120 still had Texas and X in the Big 12 championship. So I can we really call it 128 at that point? Yeah, I think it was just that like seven. What is it? Seven to the X, like, uh, or two to the seventh? Sure. Whatever it is. Hold on. I can't. Yeah, 128. That is what it is. So, so there were seven games and seven games you could either win or lose. Mm-hmm. And so that person said there was 128 scenarios, but two to the seventh, right? Combination of wins and losses uh, is 128. So they were just saying that when all the big 12 teams are playing, there's 128 
possible outcomes because there are, because the team has to win and lose. I And so everyone took that and was like, oh, there's 128 scenarios. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure like 90 of those, it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma State. Exactly. And then we're talking about like 38 edge cases. But mm-hmm. uh, there was just a, a funny math thing. Like somebody pointed that out and I was like, yeah, wait, that's just the number of possible outcomes of this weekend. That's not the number of who's <laughs> going to go to the Big 12 championship. So uh, fun with fun with math there. Um, so, all right, so Parker, you've, you've flushed this out for the season now and, and we've talked a little bit about unbound schedule and whether it's fair or not, or our opinions are, are not aside, um, it is what it is, and we have it. It's what we've got to work through here. But for Oklahoma State, you know, you talked about them being one of the beneficiaries of maybe a little bit of a lighter uh, workload in conference this year because they didn't play Texas in the regular season. Well, in just a few days now, they are going to have to play Texas and Arlington. They don't really have a choice. And for a team that really, really, really – played with fire uh, a significant portion of the season. Um, I saw your advanced stats preview on Twitter earlier today, and it from a win percent probability standpoint, it felt right. But the projected score was a little bit closer than I anticipated it being. Talk me through what you're looking forward to seeing and what you're expecting from the Big 12 championship on Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, so I, I had this as about 37, 23, 24. So 13, 14 points for the Longhorns, two scores comfortably there. One of that is just generally, you know, censoring. If if both teams have positive power ratings, uh, it's going to be hard for me to project that big of a differential. Um, uh, but generally, I mean, yeah, so 80, 85% win probability for, for Texas makes a lot of sense there. Uh, Texas is number nine in EPA per play margin. Oklahoma State is 49. So not mm. saying Oklahoma State's a bad team, but we're saying Oklahoma State on the aggregate of their statistics, looking at their profile, has not played like a top team. We've seen that at, at points this year uh, against BYU, against um, Central Florida. Uh, Central Florida. I was going to say Cincinnati, but everybody looks great against Cincinnati. Oh, they didn't look great um, against South Alabama either, so. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I think there's opportunities for this really, really to spiral. And the one thing that Oklahoma State does really well is run the ball with Allie Gordon. The one thing that Texas does really well is have huge monster dudes in the middle who can stop the rush. Oklahoma State 19th in EPA per rush, Texas second on defense. So um, certainly looks like the things that Oklahoma State has gotten away with, they will not be able to get away with. Uh, And another fun stat that I think is very just just wonderful about this game and, and introduces some chaos uh Oklahoma State is 97th in finishing drives on offense Texas is 116th we saw Texas go one for eight on scoring touchdowns on quality possessions against Texas Tech one for eight on scoring touchdowns they still wanted a blowout if Texas Tech could or excuse me if Texas could score touchdowns and finish drives they could beat people by 100 every week but for whatever reason I don't know if it's creativity I don't know if it's Quinn Ewers can't process. I, I really don't know if it's overthinking, but for whatever reason, they are just having aversion to scoring when the field gets short. So that's going to keep Oklahoma State in play. And that's the reason that this number is a little bit closer than I think um, than I think a lot of people are, are really expecting. And like you said, we've seen that happen with Texas at times this year where they struggled that way and didn't blow teams out, right? The TCU game is a perfect example of that. They took a 20-point lead into halftime. And the Frogs managed to chip away at that lead in the second half and eventually only lost by three and ultimately held Texas, quote unquote, held Texas to 29 total points in that game because of some of the struggles that the, that the Longhorns were having. We can talk to about maybe pulling their foot off the gas a little bit in the fourth quarter and just trying to milk the clock and protect the lead. All that kind of stuff definitely factors in. But you're right. I think that there's an opportunity for Oklahoma State 
if the Texas of the regular season shows up again, um, sec- second half sad Texas shows up again, the, the Cowboys could, could make it close. Um, I, I just don't see, I don't think they have the horses, frankly, yeah. to, to run with Texas. And, and I think the guys like A.D. Mitchell are, are going to have a pretty big field day against the secondary that, from my understanding, just was average at best most of the season. 79th in EPA per play uh, on passes for Oklahoma State's defense. Texas is 25th on EPA per pass on offense. So certainly matches up well for Texas to be able to move the ball through the air. Um, and I do think they have the trench advantage on both sides too. So uh, Oklahoma State's a candidate for for running out of steam. I, I will do my due diligence here and just say like, there, there's a Gundy effect here. Like if yep. Oklahoma State wins this game, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, what happened? We know what happened, right? Like it's just, it's going to be, they were able to muck things up and then come up with something wily, get a couple breaks their way. But they have used up a lot of breaks. I don't, I don't know if they have many of those left in the jar. Yeah. Uh, also, side note, shout out to the Big 12 coaches for pulling off the stunning vote of the year and giving Big 12 coach of the year to Mike Gundy and not Steve Sarkeesian. Pretty funny. They signed it there. I'm torn on that. I like that. I, I like the little pettiness there um, because I think the argument is like, well, Steve Sarkeesian has all these five stars and like they're the highest rated team. And kind of sure. like, well, who who did that? Like Texas legitimately wasn't always there. And yeah, they have the resources, but like Tom Herman came in and they were recruiting 30th, uh, you know, and he had to build that back up. And like Sark had to build that up too. So um, I would have been okay if they gave it to Sarkeesian, but for the memes, I think it was funny. They gave it to Gundy and, and Gundy legitimately had a season deserving of coach of the year. So I, 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 I totally understand that. Absolutely. Uh, and also I was thinking about this a moment ago um, when we were, you we were still talking about variance versus an average big 12 schedule. I would have loved just from a, a season win total under perspective, if Oklahoma State had had a little bit more of a, a challenging schedule because I just realized that that's, that's hypothetically because I live in the state of Texas, some money that's not in my pocket anymore. But uh, uh, okay, so I'm 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 writing a, a sixty five hundred plus six plus sixty five hundred Oklahoma State Big Twelve Championship ticket this weekend. Hey, and um, I've thought about various strategies, and I'm I'm one I'm I'm one with the force, and I'm not I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it ride. We'll see what happens. Maybe it'll no, be it wasn't okay. anything crazy, but uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna. Let go and let God, as they say. <laughs> well, let go and let Gundy, maybe. How about that? Same, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Parker, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about recruiting because I know that that's something that you've taken a, a great interest in, and I think that, um, you know, to use a worn-out phrase already, in the age and era of NIL and transfer portal recruiting, I think is changing on a daily basis. The way we analyze and assess recruiting classes is changing. And there's been a lot of debate, especially in TCU circles. Let's, we can we can hone in on, on the Horn Frogs for just a moment uh, about the quality of TCU's high school recruiting class this year. Obviously, with uh, the early signing period coming up later in the month of December, the Frogs currently have, I believe, the 33rd rated recruiting class in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. That could go up a little bit because if you read hornfrogblitz.com, you know that there are some uh, high schoolers who are poised to potentially flip and or commit in the next couple of weeks. So uh, TCU could end up with the top 30 recruiting class still, but Parker, talk to me about what you're seeing from a recruiting trend standpoint and should we even s- still value recruiting rankings like we've done them in the past? 
Yeah. Um, so um, my question is always, where are the linemen? Um, that's what I'm mm-hmm. worried about. I think I think you and I agree that it's super easy. Easy is not the right word, but but it's super attainable to get a very high top of the nation ish, you know, top 25 recruiting class in DFW on skill positions. Yes. Because uh, you can get athletes who are you know four stars and might not fit elsewhere and come bring them here and plug them in. Um, you know, receivers, uh, even some running backs, and, and kind of bring that up. But uh, I, I'm more and more shying away from the absolute recruit rating and, and wondering, like, you know, what's the foundation here? Like, what's the vision for this class? Mm-hmm. And and that's something I'm a little bit worried about. I think that we absolutely have to keep the eye on the prize of high school recruiting and development um, because transfer portal is a lottery ticket every time. Sometimes the odds are better than others, but like we saw this year, I mean, you and I know, and I don't mean to slander anybody, but like they brought in some players this year. We were like, I, there's a reason they transferred. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they, they brought in guys in, uh, that, that transferred down, which to me is, is a red flag. Uh, I'd much rather find guys who are diamonds to throw up and bring them up than maybe guys who didn't fit other places. Cause I think there's reasons that that happened generally, but uh, the, the, the way to think about that is, is Missouri. I think Missouri is a perfect example of what a modern kind of non blue blood team can at- aspire to in the era of the transfer portal. So they go get a local guy, five-star receiver, Luther burden. Amazing. Um, and they get some, you know, they get some quality linemen. They got a couple of blue chips starting for them as well. They develop those guys and then they bring in Theo Weiss, who is Island of Misfit Toys, who is like, hey, he's not fitting in there. It completely changes the gravity of their offense. They're able to free up their guy. Luther Burden goes off to have a big year. Missouri has 10 wins and, and they're at the top of the development cycle and it looks great. They're bringing back a bunch of these guys next year as well. So um, I think that's the perfect example of like, you have to have the core, you have to have the foundation, and then you need to plug and play with transfer portal guys. TCU last year did a great job at this. Where's this team without Mark Perry last year? Mm-hmm. Where are they? Yeah, uh, where are they without Alon Lee last year, right? That nowhere near the national championship without either of those guys. And um, and so I think that it's recruiting's hard because the recruiting ratings, rankings are generally good barometers for how a guy's going to do in college. But they're also a really good way to look at my team's name and see a number and my rival's team name and see a lower number and then stop thinking. Yep. And that's what you have to fight against, especially in transfer portal here is like, hey, four-star transfer. Okay, great. Why did he transfer? Mm-hmm. Um, and asking about that, or like four-star lineman. Oh, awesome. Wait, he only had offers from Boise and UNLV and we took him? Uh, that, like that's 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 a little bit of a red flag, right? And I, I think I tried to make that hypothetical. I don't think that was singling anybody no, out. No, you weren't. You weren't. That kind of thing of like, okay, if you want to recruit with the big boys, you got to beat the big boys out. Um, and, and I think that even as the transfer portal is fun and an avenue to kind of create and develop talent, the the main pipeline has to be recruiting uh, up the middle, right? you got to get your quarterback, let him play a couple of years. you got to get those linemen and get them in the weight room, get some frame on them. Uh, and so, yeah, TC's recruiting class this, this next year is not amazing. It's not awful, but uh, I, I still don't necessarily see the linemen um, that are, that are coming in. And then that's a big issue for TCU. It has been historically. And then, you know, you start to look to 25 and, uh, even though that's that's kind of a nebulous thing, uh, it's fun to look at like, hey, we got a four-star quarterback, so our average recruit ranking is really high, and that puts us above other net uh, other players. But the reality is, you know, you've got to start thinking about the depth chart. You've got to start thinking about competing for jobs, and you've got to start thinking about competitive disposition. Like, which of these guys are going to come in and actually be hungry enough to beat out other people and win, as opposed to you know when things get hard, transfer or you know just say, hey, I, 
I like it. My education paid for. TCU is a fun place to be. I'm not really going to push very much, uh, which I think we've seen examples of, not, not just at TCU, but um, all, all over as well. The key to winning in football still, even in the era of the transfer portal, is develop your core and then supplement with the transfer portal. You can't just make your life uh, revolve around those lottery tickets. And, you know, when you're talking about lottery tickets in the portal, you got to think about the, the actual number of lottery tickets that are even available to purchase, right? Because, you know, we heard Deion Sanders earlier this month talk about, or I guess maybe even late October, talk about just building a new offensive line in the portal. Well, realistically, you're only going to find maybe 30, 35 power five worthy offensive linemen in the transfer portal this year. And there are what, 65 P5 schools? There's no shot that one school, unless you're maybe Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, where you're going to be able to bring in four offensive linemen who are capable of starting for your Power 5 team and being a successful line. Not to mention, there are maybe two or three schools that have the NIL budget to afford four offensive linemen out of the transfer portal in a single cycle. So you're, I think you're absolutely right when you're talking about the necessity of taking talented, quality high school kids and putting them in, in, you know, putting them in the system, getting them developed and allowing them to grow into what you need them to grow into to, to, to be the foundation of your program. It, you know, I mentioned this on the uh, a previous episode of the podcast when I was doing a Q and a, um, you know, I, I had the chance to catch up with Kirk Sarlos, TCU's baseball coach, a little bit this fall uh, to talk about his strategy with the transfer portal because who's on a freaking heater right he's now? He's on an avenue. Please do not walk away from the table, Kirk. But you know, yeah. there's <laughs> you know they they've replaced uh, they had 42 guys in fall ball and 22 of them were new faces, right? So you're talking about Jeez. more than 50 percent roster turnover from a team that went to Omaha, and realistically. I think they're going to be a favorite to get back to Omaha because of what Kirk has been able to do, bringing in talented high school kids and developing them. And he talked a lot to me about not putting kids in positions before they're ready to be in them. And so you supplement in the transfer portal to give those high school kids time to grow into what you need them to do a year or two down the road. We've seen him do that really successfully. He's just entering year three, right? And so he's probably, I guess, four months ahead of where Sonny Dykes would be at TCU for football when you talk about head coaching tenure. Um, granted, Kirk had the, the benefit of being here for a decade prior as an assistant, but yeah, right, I mean, right. just a small, yeah, well, small benefit. But the, the, notion, uh, the notion of getting in the high school, getting the high school ranks in and, and building a foundation that way and supplementing the portal is not just a football-specific thing either. It's it's, I think the only sport where we can see more variance in that regard is basketball because you can only yeah. have five guys on the court at a time. Yep. And one guy matters so much in, in right. basketball. And I think basketball is even a little bit different than like football, like linemen specifically. This is probably my most boomer take, but I, I think TCU in particular and college football programs at the, at the kind of TCU level where it's like French contender, I think is the, 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 the way to, to frame that. Uh, kind of suffer from a lack of like hate mass linemen, especially mm -hmm. on offense. And like, I'm a firm believer. You got to have the critical mass of those dudes, like going through the suck in freshman year and summer workouts, like for multiple years and like bonding with a quarterback and being like, yeah, if somebody touches him, I'm going to kill it. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that attitude can necessarily be cultivated by just bringing guys in through the portal. And you can extend that a little bit to like locker room culture. I mean, these guys are, you know, it's not like NFL free agency per se, where they're that level of mercenary, 
But a lot of times the guy's transferring to be like, hey, I want to go get mine. And it's hard to integrate them in the culture. And, and I think TCU's seen a couple of guys come in and it hasn't worked out. They haven't lived up their recruiting ranking because they've they've transferred in and and you know, it's it's been a little odd, a little off there. So I think that especially for a place like TCU, your best success is going to be a class that has developed over a couple of years that's been together, that has developed a very strong and robust culture, like we saw last year. Mm-hmm. And then you know, addressing a couple with, with portal needs there, but still you've got to develop that culture over years. And I think it's just not that it's impossible, but it's really hard to do that. If you're just bringing in guys to fill gaps every year and guys that are there for multiple years are knowing that like, if they're not hundred percent up to par, somebody's going to come in and compete with their job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about Hayden ass lineman. Uh, let's talk about Wes Harris for a second, right? TCU's right guard last year. First of all, shout out to, the new TCU coaching staff for putting him on a health and wellness program that allowed him to be healthy all season, um, rotating him with John Lands, I think did a lot uh, to help kind of, you know, keep him in playing shape, but between him and Steve Avila, uh, those are two guys who I believe multiple times last year went on the record and said that they would literally die for Max Duggan. Yeah. And which, I mean, put me, put me on the list too. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, shout out to Wes Harris and the worst not the worst. The worst TCU football game of all time uh, was the 2019 West Virginia game. Just an yeah. absolutely miserable experience. But very close behind that was the 2020 Will Howard Kansas State game, mm-hmm. where like I mean, just absolutely awful. But uh, West Harris broke his jaw and finished the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is a, a level of intestinal fortitude that I don't know that I'll ever achieve. I don't it definitely count me out. Like if I break my I'm, jaw, just count me out I'm on a lot of things, especially very interested <laughs> in breaking my jaw. That just does not seem like something, you know, no. what? maybe, maybe as a younger man, something I would obtain, but now in my old, my just, old age, I'm just not interested in breaking no, my jaw. <laughs> zero motivation, zero motivation to experience that for sure. Uh, you know, I think, um, you, you know, you talked about some of the, the swings and misses and, and the, the the risk that you take essentially when you're bringing in guys from the transfer portal and, and trying to do your due diligence to understand why they are transferring, what the potential is for a player in the system, all those kinds of things. I do think that uh, we've seen a pretty good success rate around the country of guys making that move and finding success. Uh, you know, you mentioned Mark Perry and Alana Lee for TCU. I would throw Josh Newton into that mix. I would throw Johnny Hodges into that mix as well. Imani Bailey this year, a transfer from Louisiana, running for 1,200 yards. I'd say that that was a yeah. really important contributor to TCU offensively this season. And then across the country, I mean, is there a better poster child for transfer success than Bo Nix or Michael Penix, right? I mean, yeah. there's some there's some guys out there that have done an incredible job. Sam Hartman is another one who had a good, good, solid season at Notre Dame. Um, and so I do think that there are uh, real opportunities for, for guys to find better situations and be successful in a new program. I mean, going all the way back to heck, I mean, with Russell Wilson, right. Going to Wisconsin from NC state back in the day, which was my, my time in undergrad. So age me, if you will, but um, it it does take a level of existing culture and vetting on the part of the team that's receiving that transfer though, I think to, to make that a successful move. And I think that sometimes when you're, in certain situations as a program and as a head coach, you've got to, you've got to accept maybe more risk than another coach might be willing to take because you have a lack of depth. The coach before you left the cupboards kind of bare, you know, whatever, whatever the context might be. 
Uh, and so I wonder how frequently we find teams in that situation versus ones like Oregon and Washington, where a guy can come in and thrive. The transfer portal paradox, it's not absolute, but it's pretty true. Is like, you'll never find a successful transfer when you're looking for him. Like when you absolutely need him, mm-hmm. you can only find him when you like, you have the the right conditions for someone to come in and, and flourish. And that's not to say like anyone could be Keon Coleman or anyone could be Theo East this year, but it's like, they had to land in the right spot. You can't say, mm-hmm. hey, let's go get a Keon Coleman and then we'll entirely revolutionize our offense. It's like, hey, our offense is going to be pretty good, but I think we could friggin' unlock the next level if we could go get just one more guy. And and so that's kind of the tough thing with transfer portal. Um, also, yeah, with like scholarship limits and stuff, I mean, you can't, you really can't take too many swings in a year because, you know, especially the supply is, it you know, it drops off pretty quickly and then you're stuck like in a, in a really weird spot. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, now with with second waiver, second transfers getting denied waivers, you know, the risk is even greater um, mm-hmm. for both the player and the school. If things if things which is why out. Chandler Rogers won't be a TC starting quarterback next year. Ch- Chandler Morris. <laughs> no, no. Chandler Rogers, uh, the uh, North Texas guy that I wanted to transfer. Oh, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there are a couple of guys that we've thrown back and forth in, in text messages that are just non-starters really from a, from a, a TCU quarterback perspective, but Hey, I am comfortable enough at this point to say on the podcast outside of the paywall that this Holy cross kid quarterback that is in the portal has a little bit of mutual interest with TCU and boy, howdy. If you want to talk about the possibility of bringing in a cloned version of Max Duggan, a guy who can throw a little bit and can run a whole heck of a lot. Uh, you know, it's this kid. Yeah. Um, they did not make the playoff. Crazy. They almost beat Army. They beat uh they almost beat Boston College. And I thought they had beaten Northern Illinois this year, but that's a different team. But one score really? lost to bowling to Boston College, one score lost to Army, and they didn't make the playoff. But dude mm-hmm. can ball. Yeah, yeah, I like him. Matthew Sluka is his name for people who were like, why haven't you said his name yet? 6'3", 216. He's a senior from uh, Locust Valley, New York. Frogs have been in contact with him since he has hit the transfer portal. So that's it. Locust Valley, New York, the uh, the north central Texas of the uh, of the northwest or northeast. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Maybe he didn't look bad. No, he doesn't. And and I, for one, am a, a huge fan of um, – quarterbacks who can who can do things on the ground that's that's the soft spot in my heart i will always hold for andy dalton and trevon boykin yeah. and max well, and who can do it credibly without like chandler morris super shifty but tiny like to the point where like that's yeah, you're talking about injury risk injured, but i'm just right. saying like you're small and, and we've seen a big talk like Jalen daniels who's a big dude like when you run D- dylan gabriel when you run an offense that requires a quarterback to run, he's going to get hurt if he's not ready for it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I like Adrian, a, who's it? Adrian Martinez last year for for Kansas State. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just all over the place. You've got examples of, of mobile quarterbacks getting injured. And yeah, it just comes with the territory. Again, we go back to Wes Harris's broken jaw and how I would like absolutely nothing to do with that these days. Nothing. I woke yeah. up this morning and my shoulder was sore. Cause I slept on it wrong and it's still sore at nine Oh four PM my time. So that's, that's, the, it's not, it's that's not the context for what I'm dealing with at this point. 80, um, 81.7 passing grade, 91.1 uh, rush grade. So number one among quarterbacks in rush grade mm-hmm. and number 
23 in pass grade in the FCS. That's not a bad combo. No, not bad at all. Not bad at all. And I think, too, you know, when you start to think about transfer portal, this is another aspect of it is you have to ask yourself not only the risk of bringing in a new player and how they're going to fit and how they're going to perform, but you also have to consider the ripple effect of who is this going to maybe push out the door. Um, and so when you're starting to, to manage your roster, depth and turnover is can be a pretty significant challenge when you are shopping in the portal for a specific position, because I uh, look at Michigan state right now, right? They've lost two, three quarterbacks in the transfer portal already this yep. cycle. Um, there's uh, I'm, my gosh, I just had them in my to head. Be fair, they were bad, but sure. Um, sure. Um, but a better example is, you know, I think of a high G five school who is constantly getting poached and, um, you know, you've got guys hitting the portal. So now instead of the quarterback that you were supposed to have as a backup in 24, they're forcing them into a starting role. And what if they yeah. go down? Now you're playing a freshman instead of this guy being the backup in, in an emergency situation. And so, you know, it's chewing away at the depth of certain levels of programs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think for, you know, just using TCO as a specific example, I don't think they're in a spot quite yet where they – and I think Sunny Dykes understands this too, but they, they're not in a position where they can just accept people from the portal freely without concern about who they lose on the other end yeah. of that equation. Um, because depth, as we saw this year in certain instances, can become pretty thin pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's hard because like, you know, there you'd love for there to be a world to be like, hey, look, you like you've seen your recruiting ranking. And you've seen your physical tools and we like you. We think you're a fighter. We want you here on this team. We want you to have an opportunity to compete for this job, but like, we're going to go take a swing at a dude. And yep. like, we want you around. We want you a part of this team. We want you to compete for the starting job. But like, we think we could win a national champion. We think we could win a new year's six bowl. If uh, we have, you know, a top 10 quarterback and like, frankly, you're not a top 10 quarterback. <laughs> you can't, mm -hmm. you can't have that conversation, but you've got to kind of toe that line between, Hey, I love it here. And, and I think frankly, it was a big deal last year. The Max Duggan didn't transfer. I mean, I know that was yeah. never really a risk, but I think he was a candidate for it there just, just for the transition and how much maligning it was. And the fact that like he, he, you know, he didn't get, he didn't get the benefit of the doubt, keep the starter job at the beginning of the season. And, um, I think that was a big win for, for the team last year, obviously a uh, hot take having Max second was good for 2022 TCU, but uh, it's, it's, it's hard to navigate. And, and I think we've seen uh, plenty of examples like DJU from Clemson, just kind of being like, I'm over this, mm -hmm. go out in the middle of nowhere and ball out at, at Oregon state and, you know, have a fun competitive team. I think guys are a lot more open to that, especially as NIL makes that a little more palatable. Yeah. And, you know, I think there are definitely times this year where Clemson wouldn't have minded still having DJU on the roster either. Right. Yep. And so yep. talking about deteriorating depth a little bit, it's happening even at the quote unquote blue blood level to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Parker. Well, um, we talked, let's see, we, we hit the average big 12 schedule wins and losses variance there. We talked a little bit about big 12 championship, Oklahoma state, in Texas, we have, I believe, fully solved all of the problems about recruiting an NIL and a transfer portal at this point. So congratulations. You did a great job there. Uh, consensus on the anti-broken jaw uh, situation. Yep. Is there anything we haven't covered yet that you want to hit on? I would I would like to extend the broken jaw uh, moratorium to the rest of my body. I just <laughs> I don't want to break anything. It just doesn't seem fun. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's never broken a bone in their body. Speaking from you know that perspective, I'd like to keep that perfect record. 
Yeah. At this point, I mean, shoot, you got to keep it rolling, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's on a hot, we're on a hot street. So we're not going to walk away from that, from that roulette table quite yet, but all right, Parker, thank you so much. Uh, go ahead and plug all of your stuff so people know where and when they can find you and all the ex excellent content that you create. Yeah. Um, Stats of War on Twitter is uh, where I put like game preview and stuff. I'll pull those out for bowl season as we have those games. Um, those will be out there. I'm on the BetUS show on YouTube uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I think we're going to keep that going for bowl season um, as well. Just turn on alerts on YouTube so you know when the show's going live. Uh, never punt, never parlay, part of the hammer on Tuesday afternoons for, for more kind of betting stuff. Um, and then make sure you're following at Sumer Sports. I'm, I'm doing some behind the scenes stuff right now, but we're, we're, we're launching like NFL game previews that are like my college game previews for, for the NFL. I know a lot of people have asked about that bunch of stats and some really cool fan, like fantasy football stuff as well, back over there that, that, that those folks are doing. So, uh, that's, that's, that, that's the other thing to follow as well as at Sumer Sports. Awesome. Well, you're very clearly a busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time out of a, uh, a hectic schedule to to hop on and, and just banter back and forth and chat for a little bit, man. Yeah, absolutely. This just substituted an hour of us texting in the group chat. So that's, Honestly, that's, that's fair. That's no fair. extra time for me. <laughs> we just turned on the cameras and, and put a mic in front of our face. So I guess, yeah, it's all the same. Okay. <clears throat> thankful, thankful, thankful to Parker for that conversation. Uh, some very insightful stuff. Very excited uh, for him to have come on the show and, and, and shared some of that information with us. Um, I do want to, I do want to kind of pivot off of the NIL transfer portal conversation we were having because, um, I saw a tweet the other day from a guy I really, really respect. And he made a good point in a subtle way, um, that I wanted to, wanted to expand upon for a little bit here before we get into the mailbag. And that's Ralph Russo. He's an AP sports reporter over with the Associated Press. He's, he's been in the business for an incredibly long time. Very, very talented, very respected guy in the industry. Um, I've had the chance to meet him once or twice uh, and thankful for his kindness uh, in meeting him. I think I met him for the first time at the Heisman ceremony last year. Uh, and then I met him again uh, in the you know, covering the college football playoff. And, and a very, very kind person. Um, loved his work for a long time respect his opinion. And so earlier this week, Matt Rule, the Nebraska head coach, came out and pretty much just said what everybody kind of knows at this point about how much good players, specifically quarterbacks, will cost a team in the transfer portal. Um, and he, here's the quote that, that Matt Rule said. He said, a good quarterback in the portal costs $1 million, $1.5, million in NIL. Uh, he, he went on to have a little bit of a longer quote uh, but Ralph Russo quote tweeted this and replied with, what's ridiculous is not that it costs this much for a college player. This is what happens when you create a market for talent. Fully agree. Uh, to the first part of this tweet, to that part, absolutely. So anytime you hear the next part of this argument that Ralph is about to make, please understand that it is not a case for going back to a time where players weren't paid. Players deserve to be paid, and when you create a market for talent like they have in college athletics, this is what happens, right? Players get what they're valued by the market. That's how it works. That's how capitalism works, right? The market will bear out what you're worth, and the market is doing that for college athletics. Um, so it's not ridiculous that it costs this much for a college player, um, but what is ridiculous, as Ralph says, is boosters and fans having to pay for it. 
this is an emerging argument for uh, that, that we're seeing in college athletics now. And I don't know exactly where it's going to go at this point, but it's an intriguing argument that I've been hearing because for so long, athletics departments that on the high end of things have raked in tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in profits from ticket sales and just all of the things, right? Um, They've also heavily depended on fan funding from big boosters from uh you know fans giving to uh an alumni you know association group whatever it might be uh income happens in a lot of different ways for college athletics to where they've been able to to build these kind of beastly budgets these big budgets to have all the things that they have. And and TCU is a prime example of this in a couple of different ways, right? Because you think about the Frog Club and the incredible job that the Frog Club staff has done fundraising for certain things, certain amenities. Uh, obviously, you get a tremendous amount back in amenities when when you are a part of the Frog Club. You get a lot of perks. You meet a lot of coaches, all those kinds of things. Um there are other folks who just give directly to the athletic department. Uh, there are major donors who have given millions and millions of dollars over the years. You look at the, the stadium renovations from a couple of years ago and the fact that TCU was able to fully fund that off of gifts, um, including six gifts of $15 million or more from certain uh, mega donors. Um, fans fund a lot of what athletics departments do on top of the revenue that athletics departments make. And now with NIL, there is another cost that because of the way athletics has operated for so long at the college level, that's another cost being passed off to boosters and fans, right? Um, and just to be clear, there are, in my mind, are there is a difference between a booster and a fan. A booster is someone who gives a significant sum of money consistently to the athletic department uh, or to a specific program within an athletic department. A fan, that's someone who shows up to a game maybe once or twice a year. They watch on TV. They wear the colors. They probably went to the school. At least if you're a TCU fan, they probably went to the school. Um, And, uh, you know, they maybe don't necessarily have it in the budget to do what a larger booster does, but they still want to be able to support the program in a certain way. Uh, and typically that's by being, you know, by butts and seats, like being in the stadium on game day, having purchased tickets, buying concessions, you know, maybe buying a shirt and a hat every once in a while from the university, um, that kind of thing. So this cost has been passed off. Uh, NIL cost has been passed off to boosters and fans, just like stadium renovation costs, uh, alumni association costs, all the other costs that are associated with being um, associated, right, with with the university. NIL is the latest one to get passed off to boosters and fans. Is that a viable solution? Uh, for some schools, it will be, right? For some schools, they have the fan base, they have the, the wealthy donors that can come in and... Um, uh, float that essentially for for a university. 
Others can't. Simply put, others cannot uh, rely on their fan base for NIL funding. Uh, look at the University of Indiana, what's going on up there right now. They just had to pay a $20 million buyout to their head coach, Tom Allen, for him to not coach there anymore. And then they had to like pull all of their stuff together and, and, and scrape together for $3 million in NIL funding for the next head coach. And $3 million sounds like a lot of money, but that, that's, that's not in the NIL space, especially when you're thinking about what Matt Rule said and how much a good quarterback costs in the transfer portal. How, many, how much of your, your total funding are you willing to spend on a quarterback, right? When you probably still need an offensive line. Indiana still needs an offensive line, and they just saw a couple linemen hit the portal this week. You know, Indiana needs a secondary. Indiana needs a running back. Indiana needs some wide receivers. They got a couple pretty good ones, but you could use a couple more. You know, and so when you have a limited NIL budget, even for a Big Ten school, right? That's going to impact the on-field product. And we've heard coaches start to lament this a little bit about, oh, well, we don't have the NIL to put a competitive team on the field. So if you, the fan, want a competitive team, then you better start giving to NIL. Right? We heard Mark Stoops say this at Kentucky. Dave Dorn has said this at NC State. Jim Mora at UConn has said this as well. Coaches are starting to come out and say, hey, guys, if you want a competitive team, you better start giving more money. And the annoying thing about that to me, and I'm really glad Ralph kind of put some words to this, is the fact that, take Indiana, for example. They're part of the Big Ten. They just signed, as part of the Big Ten, an insane television contract that is going to eventually, down the road, pay them $75 million a year. A year. Right now, they're making close to $50, $60 million a year in their TV contract. TCU and the Big 12 just signed a new contract to get $35-ish million a year. And on top of that, with uh, bowl payouts and all the other stuff, that's going to be close to $50 million a year. Why are fans having to pay for NIL? I understand that it's an NCAA rule right now, right? that schools cannot directly contribute to NIL. I'm not dumb. I understand that that's a rule. What I'm saying is that rule should probably go away. (laughs) That rule should probably go away. NIL collectives that have been forced to try to get nonprofit status. Oh, we can't get nonprofit status. We've got to pivot over here. Try to get some sort of legislation, depending on my state, depending on what the federal legislation is at that moment, depending on what the NCAA says at that moment. Trying to find a way to build up a bankroll essentially to buy players uh schools have done that to varying degrees of success i would say that tcu has been relatively successful in that venture uh with the flying t club they've done i think a very good job of staying organized of of providing consistent messaging of understanding the variance in the market and how to avoid a lot of that um to quote Mark Cuban, they've kept their part. They've kept their powder dry pretty well, um, but not every school is that lucky, and not every school is capable of being that well funded by their fan base. And their fans shouldn't have to pay for that. You know, the cost of going to a game is already pretty high for a family of four. The cost of of making sure that 
you know, oh, if we're going to go to the game, do, does our kid want to have a shirt or a jersey? Do we want to be wearing the team colors? Do we want to make sure that uh, we've budgeted enough to be able to, you know, <clears throat> get a hot dog and a beer at the football game or to make sure that our kids can get some popcorn or nachos or whatever it is, right? That's an expensive endeavor for a family of four. And now to have their coach turn around and say, uh, a coach who makes millions on millions of dollars, by the way, turn around and say, oh, you're not giving enough to the program. That's why our talent is down compared to our rivals. That's a pretty crappy thing, I think. It's a pretty crappy spot for fans, the regular fans to be put in. Now, boosters are going to deal with some of this stuff regardless, right? Boosters uh, who have the, the extra funds in their bank account who have already committed large sums of money to, to the programs, they're going to continue to do what they do. But it doesn't seem like the messaging from the coaches that have spoken out like this is really directed at the boosters. It's directed at the regular fan. And I've seen a lot of math equations thrown out. I've seen them on Horn Frog Blitz. I've seen them on other sites as well. I've seen it on Twitter a lot. Of, oh, yeah, well, if we only had, you know, if we had 5,000 fans give $1,000 each a year, that's $5 million towards NIL or whatever it is. And cool. That's great. I don't have an extra thousand, right? I'm sure a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast don't just have an extra thousand. When you've got young kids, you've got a house payment, you've got all these other things that you've got going on. I mean, hell, our plumbing has broken 14 times this year. It's absurd, right? So there are just life circumstances that dictate whether or not you can give even what would be considered a relatively small amount of money to an NIL effort for your football team. And then all of a sudden you're catching strays from your head coach because you can't give an extra 500 bucks. You can't give an extra thousand bucks. And now it's your fault that Kentucky can't compete with Georgia, <laughs> right? Like what, what are we doing? What are we doing? That's ridiculous. And so I do think that the NCAA legislation needs to change a little bit. I think that if fed, the federal government gets involved, which, that's just going to screw things up, I think. But if, if they're going to insist on getting involved, then they've got to understand as well that, that you cannot continue to pass off all of the costs of operating an athletics department on the everyday fan. It's just not feasible. You're going to see a lot more programs go downhill that way. And uh, it's just it just does not make sense when the schools are pulling in as much money as they are pulling in. And that's not to say that people shouldn't contribute to NIL because I think if you – if you want to, you should be able to. If you think that that's an important thing to do, you should be able to. Um, but to put the onus completely on boosters and fans, I think, is is a little bit of a ridiculous thing. And, and I think we're going to start seeing that argument come up more and more if guys like Ralph Russo are talking about it um, on social media already. So uh, I appreciate Ralph for, for putting that out. That really kind of got the wheel spinning in my head. That's my two cents on that right now. Uh, and we'll kind of track that and see if anything comes of it in the near future. All right, officially mailbag time. Let's get into it. Um, Bakken asks, why did we go away? Oh, so first of all, before we get into these, you can ask questions as well by going over to Hornfrog Blitz and finding the mailbag thread for the week and typing in your questions, and that's where I will go and read and answer all of the questions. Um, yes, you do have to have, be subscribed to Hornfrog Blitz in order to access that thread. Um, I'm very thankful for the folks over at Hornfrog Blitz who pay to be members. It is 
by by far, hands down, explicitly the best community for TCU fans. If you're not over there right now, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to do so. If you think it's too pricey, that's fine. Hold out for a month. There will probably be a, a deal coming at some point, right? We just had one of our biggest deals of the year for Black Friday. There's going to be, probably be a holiday deal here in the near future as well. Uh, so you you can buy a subscription for yourself or for a loved one. Um, get over to hornfrogblitz.com. And one of the perks, ask questions in the mailbag. Um, all right, let's jump in. Bakken. Why did we go away from open practices? Seemed to work great that uh, great last year. Um, there's another question here. We're going to start with this one. So they didn't really go away from open practices, but they did follow the same format that they did a season ago, which is there were a lot of open practices in the spring that folks could go to. Um, but then in fall camp, they started to kind of lock things down a little bit more. I think they had maybe one or two open practices in the fall. Um, and, you know, that's that's the old... Uh, you know, the old Gary Patterson adage, you know, if I'm telling you, I'm telling Baylor. If I'm telling you, I'm telling Utah. Um, there are some things that they don't want just the general public to see from a practice standpoint. A lot of, you know, formation stuff, you know, how they, how they, um, how they line up on defense, how they line up on offense, all those things. There, there's a lot there that people can glean just from standing on the sideline. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's been a huge sign-stealing situation going on at Michigan and so I don't blame coaches for wanting to get a little bit more conservative with what they're putting on film or what they're opening up to the public but I do think that Sonny Dykes has done a tremendously good job uh, in his two years here of making football more accessible to fans uh, and I don't see that changing anytime soon he's he's I think that's a really important kind of pillar of his of his kind of football coaching philosophy is this is the fan base's team and uh, they should have access to more things around that team. I think he's done a great job with that. Bakken also asks, not sure what the newer Utah State guy does, but any possible additions that could play the Carrington social media role? Um, so <clears throat> let me let me clarify some things here. Um, first of all, as far as um, staffing goes... I, th- I believe the Utah State guy that you're talking about is. Um, oh, hang on. Where's it going? There it is. I believe the <laughs> the guy you're talking about is um, Dave Ro- Dave Roberson, the he's TCU's director of recruiting strategy. Um, so there are. A couple different recruiting roles that people have. Uh, Carrington filled one of them. Um, he was the director of recruiting for TCU while he was here. He obviously left for an on-field coaching spot at Arizona State. Pretty big promotion, pretty big pay raise. Can't blame him for that. Uh, Aaron Hodges has filled in as the director of recruiting this year. And then Dave Roberson came over from Utah State, director of recruiting strategy. So those two... Uh, kind of work in tandem to create TCU's recruiting uh, strategy. They work uh, also very closely with the director of player personnel um, and the assistant athletics director for player personnel to uh, kind of coordinate who they're recruiting, how they're going to recruit, what an, what an official visit looks like, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, and then they also have uh, another person who 
does on-campus recruiting specifically, right? So when a kid gets on campus, what does that look like? What is that experience going to be for that recruit? So there's a whole team of folks who go into recruiting strategy for TCU. Dave Roberson is one of those guys, the guy that came from Utah State in the offseason. Um, they don't have as big of a personal social media presence. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, but I can understand why folks liked the Brian Carrington active on social media hype machine stuff that was going on. Um, because that's very forward facing. It makes feel, makes people feel connected to the program. Um, they like seeing that kind of stuff. Um, and and so I, I understand that, but I don't think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that, um, a different tactic or a different strategy is necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, JC Watner, realistically, what record does TCU need in 2024 to prevent the Dykes fallout? Is the fan base expectations, fan base's expectations different than the university's expectations? Is it big 12 championship or bust? That's a really interesting question about fan expectation versus university expectation. Um, the university expectation, and when I say university, I'm talking about Jeremiah Donati and the leadership above him. So uh, President Daniel Pullen, Chancellor Victor Bashini, that whole kind of executive leadership team. Um, those expectations are compete for conference championships and national championships. Those are the expectations. Um, that is why Sonny Dykes was brought in. Those were the expectations that were clearly communicated throughout the searching process. And so I think that from that perspective, the university expectations and the fan expectations are pretty well aligned. Most TCU fans that I talk to think that TCU should compete for Big 12 championships year in, year out. Um, is that realistic? I think in the new Big 12, it becomes far more realistic than it has been since they've been in the Big 12. Um, they've got to continue to recruit. They've got to continue to hit the portal well. Uh, and they've got to continue to develop some guys, especially in the trenches. Go back to the conversation I just had with Parker, right? Trench warfare is incredibly important in college football. And TCU has been challenged developing guys consistently along the offensive and defensive line. We can talk about reasons for that, but it's going to be an impact probably in 2024 like it was in 2023. And... That's going to be a tough one. Um, but what record does he need to prevent a fallout in 2024? I mean, baseline qualify for a bowl, right? Like you have to go to a bowl next year. You can't miss miss a bowl for the second year in a row. That never happened under Gary Patterson. If it happens in years two and three of your tenure, that's going to be uh, probably a pretty big challenge for fans to overcome just mentally uh, to say that, okay, yeah, you got us the national championship, but then you missed a bowl the next two years in a row. Um, I think there, I think we would probably see some pretty, pretty quick fallout from that. I, I, you know, and I haven't done enough, you know, forward kind of casting yet, uh, to see what the possibilities are for 2024. I'm still just trying to wrap up 2023 here and then get into basketball season. But, uh, I would say that the baseline for 2024 would be makeable, right? TCU should, and I said this uh, about a month ago on a on the podcast with Melissa, TCU should never be in a position where they're not going to a bowl game. That's really uh, uh, just, that's the, the baseline should be, okay, well, what bowl are we going to? Right. And then, all right, well, this year we're kind of near the top of our recruiting cycle. These are the bowls that we should be going to, not 
the lower ones, whatever. Um, so that's kind of that. Pastor Frog asks, why haven't you fired anyone yet? Who says I haven't? Who says I haven't, Pastor? Who says I haven't? Uh, I haven't. I haven't fired anyone yet. I have no power. I have none. No power. Senior Frog asks, why is the staff not going after every recruit in the transfer portal that this board recommends? Do they not understand how well we evaluate? They must be out to sabotage the entire roster. It's very suspicious. Senior Frog, you're onto something. Keep pulling that thread. Keep pulling that thread. Um, but I will say that I think uh, Jeremy did a good job of explaining this on the site. If you look at the number of graduating seniors and the incoming recruiting class, you'll start to get a picture of the size of transfer portal class that TCU anticipates bringing in this year. So there are going to be a lot of guys that hit the portal. We've already started to see that this week. There are going to be a lot of guys. TCU will not be involved in all of them by any stretch. They won't even be involved in 50% of them. I would suggest uh, that we, we set our expectations that TCU is going to be incredibly selective in the transfer portal. They're going to go get guys that they believe fit their culture, fit their scheme, and fit the 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 holes they need to fill on the roster, right? Because uh, like we talked about with Parker just a couple minutes ago on the show, the transfer portal is not how you build a roster. The transfer portal is how you supplement the roster you have. And we understand pretty clearly where TCU needs to supplement. They need another quarterback in the quarterback room. They need a couple offensive linemen, probably another wide receiver or two. Um, maybe a corner or a safety, right? So they're going to be pretty selective, but they are going to address the needs that they see on the roster currently. Portal is supplemental, not how you build a roster. Go Frogs, FW. What were Kendall Rogers' insights about the baseball team for those of us without a D1 subscription? Okay, I need to go back in to the, the baseball thread because I think someone posted his whole article there, and that's not really okay. I'm going to have to close that thing down. Um. If you want to know what Kendall Rogers said about the baseball team, subscribe to D1 Baseball, right? I uh, get pretty frustrated when people take the information that Jeremy and I put on the board and they publicize that beyond the paywall. Um, that's not great. Uh, and I'm not going to do that for someone else who's also trying to make a living doing this work. And Kendall does phenomenal work. I do have a D1 subscription. I have read his full baseball report. It's excellent. I did have a chance to catch up with him while he was in Fort Worth a couple weeks ago. Um, and so, yeah, support Kendall Rogers, support D1 Baseball. If you want to know what he said, go and go and read it. Uh, he was, I will say this, and I think he's tweeted this as well. I think he's got TCU kind of penciled into Omaha for the second year in a row. Uh, and I'm sitting down with Kirk Sarlo soon. I've got a fall thing that I'm going to be putting out there as well. Um, this is a very talented roster. Very talented roster for TCU. We'll see if they can put it all together. See if they can put it all together. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Army Frog fan. Do we take a look at Ewers after Arch wins the job this spring? Oh, man. Well, they passed on Ewers once already. So I don't know that they'll do that twice in a row. No, hang on. Back up. People are going to hear that and say, oh, so they are going to get him. Everybody chill. Everybody chill. Everybody chill. Moving right along, it seems we are going to TRF 51. It seems we are going to lose some of our better recruits from this cycle. How many do you think we lose? And if you had to guess, who would be moving on? Okay. Uh, I will say this. First and foremost, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to speculate who's gone or who's staying. That's not fair to those kids. 
um, for that to be out there and then for the other thing to happen also just not not a good not a good look really um but i will say this so i've already talked a little bit about the number of graduating seniors the number of incoming recruits there are still some needs on this roster that they're going to have to address through the transfer portal um what does that look like then well you find out how many extra scholarships you have by how many guys do end up entering the transfer portal um how that happens is how that happens, right? I Kids decide that they're not going to get the playing time that they want here or that they need a fresh start somewhere else, and they're going to go and get that. Um, if, you're, if you're a member on, on the board and you're listening to this, uh, you should get over to the board and see the names that Jeremy has already published that have filled out paperwork to enter the transfer portal. Um, if you're not a member of the board, those names are on the board. You should probably get over there and check it out. Um, but what I know is that I will never fault a kid for going to the transfer portal who feels like he needs a, a different opportunity. I will never fault a kid for that. I will never fault a kid who feels like they need to get more playing time so they should go tr- try their luck somewhere else. Um, I don't. I will never fault a kid who uh, wants to try and make a little bit more NIL money. I won't fault a kid for that. I won't fault a kid for that. I... Also won't fault a coaching staff for having honest, real conversations with the kid about what their prospects are at a certain university, right? So as they all sit down with kids this offseason and say, you know, hey, you know, this is, this is kind of the situation. This is how we see you, you know, uh, fitting in and moving forward. Um, you know, and, and just being honest and then a kid being able to take that information and make a decision for themselves about what they want their future to look like. Um, uh, so it seems we are going to lose some of our best recruits from this last cycle. Maybe, maybe not. Um, with the, the volume of kids that are hitting the portal already and the fact that we've only heard, I think, two or three names from TCU. You know, there was a, there was a pretty big assumption by TCU fans this offseason that a lot of guys were going to dip. And that just has not been the case yet. So I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see a mass exodus like everybody's predicting. I don't think we will. Um, Loaf, life of a frog. Where do you store all these used mailbags? Same place I store all the dead bodies. Um, Purple Shades, do you think Joe is able to philosophically change his defense in the fall to fit his personnel? This is an interesting question. Because I don't, Purple, correct me if I'm wrong when I post this on the board. I don't think you're talking about a scheme change. Uh, which is nice and refreshing because there's not going to be a scheme change as long as Joe Gillespie is the, the defensive coordinator here. But philosophically, I think there are some things that they can do differently. Jeremy and I talked about this on the drive back from OU. They did not do enough this year to generate pressure on opposing quarterbacks. The three-man front, is good when you have guys who are capable of beating double teams consistently. I would contest that TCU had one of those guys this year, and that's Dom Williams. And we saw the result of that. A lot of times when they dropped eight, they weren't getting any pressure on the quarterback with that three-man front. And it did not seem at times like TCU was willing enough to send a fourth or fifth guy <clears throat> excuse me, to generate the pressure that they needed to generate. Because when you're asking... Three guys to beat five guys. And then on the back end, as a result of that, you're asking for your secondary 
to cover wide receivers for five, six, seven seconds, that is not a good recipe for success. So philosophically, I do think some things need to change. Philosophically, I think Joe is able to change. If you go back and you look at what he's done or what he did at Tulsa, he started, he inherited a 4-2-5 defense. And he created a hybrid defense that eventually morphed into what he's got now at the 3-3-5. I think he's still really happy with that. I think philosophically, he's willing to make some changes based on personnel to um, put something on the field that's more effective and more impactful. Uh, I don't think that he's going to roll back out there next year and just say, yep, this is what we're doing. We're doing the same thing again. Uh, That doesn't fit him based on what I know about him as a person, based on what I've, you know, how I've interacted with him as a person. Um, You know, when I sat down with him, Right when he got on campus, it was like a week and a half after he got here, sat down with him for a little bit of a one-on-one. And he talked me through how he got to where he was as far as being a 3-3-5 guy. Talked a lot about trying to... He helped me understand defense in a different way by basically saying, don't think of it as a 3-3-5. Think of it as a starting point for where our guys are aligned on the field. And from there, we've got different rules for everyone based on where they are on the field. And that can look a lot of uh, different ways. So even though the alignment looks 3-3-5, there are a lot of different possibilities. And that got me really excited about what this defense could potentially be, thinking about sending pressure from a lot of, un- a lot of creative areas, uh, how, you, how you handle coverage in those situations, um, get really creative with some things. And then we didn't see a ton of that this year. We saw a little bit of it last year, but I think that that was because you had Dylan Horton and D. Winters and THT helping just be, I mean, they're NFL players, right? So obviously they're going to make your team a little bit more, uh, they're going to give you more more room to, to get creative. I don't think, I don't think TCU was as confident in the personnel that they had this year to get creative in some of the same ways. And so we saw a much more passive defense this year. Um, if that continues into 2024, that will not be good for TCU. I'll say that. It will not be good for TCU. McFrog, what do you think? <clears throat> oh, man. I don't know. I'm just drinking coffee over here. Redgrave09 with a slew of questions here. One, TCU men's basketball is 6-0. and They're about to take a step up in competition level in December. What do you predict their record will be going into Big 12 conference play? Um... So I think they've got 13 non-conference games, 12 and 1 at best or 12 and 1 at worst I think is what they will be. 12 and 1 at worst. I think they can I think there's legitimate opportunity to be 13 and 0 or just to be undefeated going into Big 12 play. Um but you're right the competition does step up. Uh they have not played a team with a Ken Palm better than 250 at this point, maybe 240 at this point. Um and they're about to play Georgetown, Clemson, Arizona State. Clemson's Ken Palm is in the 40s. Uh, they just went on the road and beat Alabama. Very good Clemson team. Very big interior presence on that Clemson team. I will be interested to see how that game goes. Georgetown is Georgetown. They're not um, the Georgetown of old with like Patrick Ewing, um, but they are still Georgetown. Still a name brand program in the Big East. Uh, and then Arizona State, obviously, that's, a, that's an NCAA tournament rematch over at Dickey's Arena. Very excited for that game as well. Um, but I think that this team has some incredible depth. TCU does. I think that they've got a, a big man rotation at the five. 
um, with three guys that are very capable of giving Jamie Dixon exactly what he wants from that position as a whole, which essentially is a double-double every night. Get us, get us 10 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, they've been exceeding those expectations, obviously, through the first six games. We'll see if they can continue to do that as the competition steps up. Question number two from Redgrave09. I understand that the early part of the schedule is to build team chemistry and stack wins before Big 12 play. As our strength of schedule shows, we only play bad G5 teams and haven't been under much crunch time pressure. Why doesn't Dixon schedule a few more better middle-tier G5 teams that can give us a better test before we move on facing P5 and top 10 Big 12 teams? Uh, <clears throat> well, he's kind of doing that with the back half of the schedule. From here on out, TC's got the number nine strength of schedule in the country. And that includes these uh, final five or six or whatever um, non-conference games. So there are some, there are some, there, there isn't the big stretch uh, team, right? There's no Duke on this non-conference schedule, but Clemson, the potential of playing Nevada and the Diamond Head Classic Tournament, um, all of those things are, uh, all of those teams are 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 good kind of um, benchmarks for where your team is, and realistically, I think a a good thing to remember, especially in this day and age, is that he's trying to get six new guys blended in with six returning guys. Um, to figure out chemistry, to figure out rotation. A lot of guys dealt with injuries in the fall. So there's not necessarily... Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing that they started out with the schedule that they did because you are giving guys time to adjust and adapt. Um, Asam Mustafa played at Coastal Carolina, right? You know, Jameer Nelson Jr., for as much as we love him already, played at Delaware. So these are guys that are still adjusting to playing on a power five team and I think getting them more acclimated to what it's like to play on a power five team is, is really important early on in the year. And now you've got Georgetown Clemson, Arizona state to, to kind of welcome them into, Hey, this is power five basketball, right? This is, this is how we're going to hoop here. Um, do we know who will fill in for Mike miles as our number one go-to guy when we need a bucket right now? I would say that's probably Jameer or Eman. Um, those are probably the, the one and two options, and maybe Micah Peavy is in, uh, rounds out the top three. But then again, Jacoby Coles is the leading scorer right now, right? Um, I think that's probably a benefit that this team has is that you can't focus all of your attention on one guy because you know he's going to get the ball in crunch time. Um, I think there are several guys that can get a bucket when TCU needs one. Number three, did you get a defend Fort Dixon hat at the game on Monday night? Can I have it? I did get one. It's right here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. It's on my desk. And no, you cannot have it. It is mine. It's mine. Uh, maybe you can have it. We'll see. Uh, let's see. Rough Frog just posts a video from YouTube. What in the wide, wide world of sports? Um, thank you for that, Raw. TC Wags, maybe too late to hit the mailbag. It's never too late. How many sacks did we get from the defense this year? Is there a correlation between sacks and wins? That's a good question. TCU had 25 sacks this year. Okay, I'm looking at the stats right now, which is why there's a nice white glow on my face if you are... Watching on the YouTube channel. But here's a, here's a fun little stat. So they had 25 sacks this year, Wags. Uh, what is this? 16 of them came in the first four games. Uh, so they went 3-1 and one in those first four games. They had 16 sacks on the year. The rest of the year, the last one, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 games, they had 9 total sacks. So when the competition stepped up in Big 12 play, 
the um, production from the defensive line and production from a sack standpoint definitely went down. And we saw that TCU, when they were not able to get a consistent pressure on opposing quarterbacks, they struggled to, to slow teams down, uh, sl- slow opposing offenses down. So that's definitely, I think, not as direct of a correlation as you would say, uh, as you might think, but there's definitely something to the thought that the more you're getting to the quarterback, the more impactful your defense is being, the better chance you have to to win football games. Uh, and TCU did not get it done from a sack standpoint uh, in the back half of the season for sure. Um, Ludacliff, good evening, Jamie, if that is indeed your real name. It's not. It's a nickname. Question one, why are you hating on the Anon Army? I'm not hating on the Anon Army. I just don't understand the Anon Army. I'm an old man by trade, and uh, I don't understand. Just creating... I say this as someone who writes for a message board. I don't understand creating uh, like a like a fake thing for people to just like spam post on and uh, just kind of like put your name on it, right? Uh, now, there's a difference though between the funny, random, anon accounts that are spammy and you know frustrate opposing fan bases and do this. Then there's the other kind of anonymous account that is like actively stealing paywalled content. Definitely have a problem with the latter of those. I don't have an I don't have an issue with with the regular anon army though. I I love you guys. You guys are hilarious. Um, uh, it's very fun to see you guys uh, frustrate other people. Question two: Please give your thoughts on tampering with athletes prior to entering the transfer portal. Do you have any thoughts on how that type of thing can be prevented? Second question: First, no, I don't have any thoughts on how that can be prevented because it is so rampant and widespread, and it always has been. Tampering has always been a part of athletics, not just in college, but in in professional sports as well. I mean, look at the tampering that happens in the NBA, right? Um, there's a little bit of tampering. I think that happens in baseball and, and football as well, but. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of a part of sports really. And that's, uh, you just kind of have to deal with it. Um, do I think that it is complicated by the fact that college athletes can now have agents who can kind of reach out on their behalf and start to test a market before someone hits, uh, the portal? Yeah, I do. Um, because it's much harder to track and punish, uh, people for, for those kinds of communications. Now, when a player has, the ability to say, oh, I never talked to them, right? Um, so it's it's definitely an interesting thing. I don't like it necessarily, right? The the reports of the kid from Houston getting a $500,000 offer to go to a Big Ten school or the fact that Riley Leonard hit the portal from Duke and as it happened in real time, uh, there were not just one or two, but like half a dozen, if not more, National writers reporting that they think Notre Dame is the front runner. Well, wow, that's pretty crazy that uh, a school is a front runner four minutes after a guy hits the portal. Um, so I, it is annoying. I think that I think that there's not a lot that can be done about it, though, and that's just kind of the reality of of where college athletics is right now. Um, kind of going back to my other other thing too about uh, who's paying for what. It just the NCAA really fumbled fumbled it here by just not creating any kind of legislation or structure around what NIL should look like, around what the transfer portal should look like. And so it's like they just dumped out all of the stuff on the ground 
And now that everybody's got access to all of these fun pieces, they're trying to like scoop it back up and build something that makes some some semblance of sense. And and it's just that's just not how you go about uh, advancing the organization or the sport. Um, and, but it's also not unexpected from the NCAA. Redgrave09 with another question: How real is the women's basketball seven and zero start? It seems like they are playing a tougher opening schedule than the men. And they have impressive wins. Will this hot start continue? Where do you expect them to finish in the Big 12? This is a very real start for women's basketball. Rice is a good basketball team. They beat them by 25. Nebraska is a good basketball team. They beat them on on the road uh, as they won the tournament down in St. Pete, the St. Pete Showcase. Um, I'm very impressed with what Mark Campbell has done in a short amount of time as TCU's head coach. And I do think that that hot start will continue. Um, The schedule in non-conference isn't terribly challenging through the rest of the way they got a couple couple games on there that i want to keep an eye on um but i do think that they've that they're legit i think the people he brought in in the portal sedona prince Jaden owens madison connor um una jovanovic who's starting to step up a little bit more as well um agnes emanopu like all of these all of these women are are phenomenal basketball players and and they're gelling really quickly which is nice to see um where do you expect them to finish in the Big 12? I would love uh, I, I would love for them to finish probably top four or five in the conference. I think more realistic is somewhere in that middle third, uh, you know, kind of fifth to ninth. I think is probably pretty reasonable. You got to remember where this team is its starting point was right. They were one in seventeen in conference a season ago. They've got a huge hole to dig out of, and yes, they have a hot start. I think it'll continue. But once you get into conference play, we're gonna really see where this team stacks up with the rest of the conference. So uh, I, I, I expect a middle third finish and fringe tournament team. Um, I don't think that's unreasonable. We'll see how this team bears out when they get challenged in conference play. Funky Frog, biggest changes needed this offseason to get us back on track. Uh, the Anon Army needs to bring the vibes. That's what I'm going to say. Um, but realistically, I think you've got to address some of the issues in the portal. I'm assuming this is about football. Address some of the issues in the portal along the line. Um, you know, and then the rest of this offseason has to has to be about uh, roster retention and development, right? Like development is so critically important for TCU to get back on track. Spring ball is going to be critical to developing some of these sophomores that are transitioning into their junior years to make sure that those are the guys that can be real contributors on this team. Um, that's where, that's where the biggest thing that uh, biggest focus needs to be, I think is on developing that sophomore class, making sure they're ready to be uh, the front lines as juniors. Redgrave 09. Why did you tweet out that we should keep an eye on the board today and then not follow up with any breaking news? Well, <laughs> um, because I don't get to dictate when breaking news happens. Uh, breaking news happens when it happens, and we'll report it when we can. Um, Jeremy and I are hearing very similar things around potential coaching changes. We're hearing sim- similar things around transfer portal stuff. He's obviously locked in on what frogs are leaving the program as well. Um, but unfortunately, I can't break news if I don't have confirmation of it yet. And I'm not going to break news if I don't have confirmation of it. Yet, because that makes me a liar, and I'm not going to be that. Um, my work productivity dropped off a cliff after seeing that tweet. What's going to happen? Check the site again. Check the site again. Well, just keep checking the site, Redgrave. Just keep clicking, click, clicking. Keep refreshing, keep refreshing, keep refreshing. Risk explosion. If we created two bourbon labels, one with KB and one with JG, which one would sell more, assuming the bourbon juice was the same? Hmm. That's a great question. 
That's a great question. I think the KB one would sell more right now. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I think that might do it. Oh, McFrog posts screenshots from the Cheez-It Bowl. Oh, come on, man. These are screenshots of a certain staffer falling on the sideline. Grade the effort. A. A for effort. That'll do it, though, uh, for this episode of Frogs Insider. Thank you very much to Parker Fleming for joining the show. Thank you very much for all of you for listening. Shout out again to Homefield Apparel and Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods for sponsoring this content. Make sure, folks, that you like and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. Go check us out on the YouTube channel, and we will be back. Um, Melissa and I are going to start getting into some more off-season content here going to chat about uh, what that plan looks like but one of the things that I am hopeful we can do soon is go back to our preseason predictions and see how right and wrong we were Uh, a lot of crow I think is going to happen in that episode but we are going to remind folks of what we said in the beginning of the season and we're going to take ownership of of some of those predictions I think some of them are pretty close to right though as far as like individual accolades go Um, but we will see with that and then obviously we've got a lot of content coming over at horn frog blitz as we get into the off season for football basketball is ramping up baseball just wrapped up fall camp so we're going to have a lot of written content over there so make sure you're over at hornfrogblitz.com um but until the next episode we will uh talk to you later go frogs